Hey, everybody, this is pop culture critic John Tatey welcoming you back to Pop Mom, the podcast where culture is relative. Yes, indeed, it's time again for my mom, Bonnie Tatey, to share her view of pop culture, small town life, and the riddles of human nature. On this episode, Mom reviews Quentin Tarantino's latest film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Let's bring Mom in now. Hi, Mom. Hi, John. How are you? Very good. Very good. Um, I do have an update for you. The frog has passed. Oh, rest in peace, frog. Yes. Yes. So we didn't know what to do with him. Uh... And so we took him out and dumped him in the stream. Yes, I was afraid you were going to say that. Well, he was dead, so he's not going to hurt anything. Well, yeah, but he's, he could have all bad, like, bacteria and stuff on him, but probably it's fine. Well, Johnny, there's been hundreds of ducks and geese out there pooping and crapping all over the place, so I hardly think this frog has anything. And he was healthy till he died. Well... Yeah, uh, just uh, as a public service announcement to our listeners, you should not uh, dump your deceased aquatic aquatic pets in uh, natural waterways. But I'll forgive you this time, Mom. Okay. Um, And then we used this water to rejuvenate the pot plant. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. So the circle of life continues. So that's right. That's what I thought. So you got to fill people in here. Do I? Well, now that we live in Maine, it will be okay. <laughs> oh, it's not legal in New Hampshire yet. Come on, libertarians. No. What are you good for? <laughs> so in Maine, where we live, it's uh-huh. legal. Yeah. To have to to grow your own pot. Yeah, cannabis is the preferred nomenclature. Cannabis. At this point okay. Yeah. So anyway, I got one of those plants for my birthday um, from a relative. And uh, but what I really want to do is make um, salve with it. Yeah, so, CBD salve, right? Well, I don't think it will be CBD salve. Why not? Because this has lots of lots of is it TCH THC THC. I believe this is heavy. On that end. Oh, and is that uh, is that good for a salve? I, I don't know. I, don't, I think you better do your research here, Mom. <laughs> well, that was the idea. Somebody, the person that gave me the plant, once bestowed a jar of salve on us. I see. Made from these plants. So I'm yeah. assuming that that works. And I just want to clarify that the mom to whom... Uh, the mom, the relative to whom mom is referring is not me. Oh, no, 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 because you sent nothing. I know. I owe you a birthday present, but I got a good one too. So I hope it'll be worth the wait, but I I am deeply ashamed that I owe you a birthday present. Oh, well, there's no need for that, but that's a birthday present in itself, isn't it? Really? My shame? Bring somebody. Yeah. 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 (laughs) There you go. Um, Can't really put a bow on it. The frog's water, yeah, in which he deceased, which is probably full of lots of lovely nutrients now, is nurturing my beautiful plant, who we call Junior, <laughs> even though it's a girl. 
Well done. Well done. Well, the uh, salve that you eventually manufacture from this frog-watered plant um, would come in handy for muscle pain, which loyal listeners will remember I was experiencing about a month ago and uh, felt like it was endangering my musical pursuits. And uh, I want to follow up briefly uh, because one of our most loyal listeners, Michelle G., she is a loyal friend and true uh, of the Pop Mom podcast. I had mentioned that I'd seen a massage therapist and he gave me some stretches and she just was like, I'm a physical therapist. Massage therapy is not the same. Go to a physical therapist. Mom's right, she said, because you had mentioned this as well. And uh, I went to see a physical therapist. It was very reassuring. Got some exercises to do. Um, Mom, you saw me doing them quite often during my visit in New Hampshire. Um, And it really made a big difference. And I just want to thank. uh, It was only one visit. I don't need ongoing PT, although the therapist did check in a week later to see how I was doing. And we agreed I was good to go. It was great. And I just, Michelle G., you really made a difference in my life there. And it's so special to have a community of listeners who can do that. For me, because what the hell have I done for you? Nothing. So, um, and and who cares what mom says? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Who cares? Well, it's nice to have a second, uh, a second of the motion uh, from somebody who actually does it. Hey, I pride myself on my medical degree, so. <laughs> Yeah, I know Which you do. Which I do not have. So thank you, Michelle G. She, uh, she, you followed up on Twitter and asked what they said, and I'm sorry I didn't get back to you at the time, but now you know. They said I was fine, and it was great, and uh, thank you for encouraging me. Uh, I really yes, appreciate it. Yes, it really was lovely that, that, that she took the time to, um, to say that, because I think that really, sadly, more than me, convinced you to look in that direction. <laughs> All right. Well, that turned into a crappy compliment, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, Mom, what was your favorite part of the wheel piece on the AV Club? Oh, my God, Johnny. It's still on my list. I see. Okay. So, you know, maybe don't play the bad son card too quick. Uh, <laughs> okay, we'll move on. All right, um, all right. Wow, are we bitter this week? Well, I just, uh, you know. No, I'm I'm I, I'm saying I'm just as bitter as you. Yeah. So okay, I just needed to score one point in my corner, and I believe that point has been scored. Um, yes, this yes, is great. Has. Don't read that wheel piece because I can really lord that over you now, for quite a while. Uh, now I have to read it tonight. Well, let me read it right now. Why don't you wait? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> hey, we went to the movies this week, and uh, I feel like you always have some experiences from your visit to the theater. Tell me what's uh, what's on your mind as far as the movie experience is concerned before we get into the actual film. Well, the first thing I want to tell you is that I saw it with three people and a sheet that I thought was a person, but I found out afterwards it wasn't a person. It was just a sheet. I don't know what it was doing there. Okay, here is my question for you. Uh-huh. First movie that you saw that you remember seeing in the theater. In the theater, um, Pop, uh, Dad's Dad, took me to Snow White in the theater. Oh! Yep, and I remember it quite vividly. I remember it was the West Lebanon uh, Lowe's, I believe yep. it was at the time theater. 
Um, and in case people think I'm mispronouncing the name of the town, that's just how they say it in New Hampshire. It's not Lebanon, it's Lebanon. And you can always tell the natives because they know how to say the name of that town. Um, but, uh, the, and the, Concord. Oh, that's Concord is a good one, too. That's right. Because people say Concord. Um, right. But, uh, yeah, the West Lebanon Theater and... I feel like I can picture the seats. I can picture, you know, they just used to put red up on the screen. There were no advertisements uh, oh. cycling through. It was just sort of this soothing red to help your eyes adjust. They didn't realize they could just be selling to us constantly. It was a very That's naive right. time. And yes, I have a very fond memory of that. Partly because, I mean, it's a classic movie. It's a good one to be your first in the theater. I was spellbound. And, you know, I was seeing it with pop. Um so it's all a very happy memory for me. Yeah. Well, now I'm going to tell you something really weird. Because when I, when I said, what was the first movie you saw me? Yeah. I said that to myself. I also saw Snow White. Oh, and the seven wow. That was, that is just weird. Really? I'm not kidding. We did not prepare this. I want the listeners to know. We I didn't know this. I have it written down right in my notes. Oh, it was, wow. Yep. Uh, wow. Really so what's weird. your memory of it then? My memory is I went with my mother and my sister, and I think we went to the drive-in. I saw it at the drive-in. Um, and... Um, I just remember sitting in the front seat with my sister and, um, you know, the windows were down and we watched the movie. Just uh, very pleasant. Now, here's what I really wanted to tell you, though. Mm. The first movie I saw with my father, I was about five or six. I'll say six. And he took me to see The Tingler. <laughs> Which was a, yeah, six. He took me and my sister on a Sunday afternoon to see a Vincent Price movie who had isolated um, the, the spine chilling uh, sensation to a parasite that caused death if you can't scream and, I don't know, get it loose or whatever. And, you know, there was at one point somebody turned on a faucet and blood was coming through the faucet and Vincent Price was trying to murder his wife. And anyway, so the parasite got loose. So it was out there. And at the time, some movie theaters were wired to make your chair yes. tingle. Mm -hmm. So I don't think ours was this, but the... But what I remember most, I believe that's the that's this movie's claim to fame, in fact. Oh, is that right? Yeah, but go ahead. Well, my sister got pissed off at something. Now, she's 12, so she goes off and sits at the end of the aisle. <laughs> and I'm sitting with my father. <laughs> and I don't know, something like a corpse sat up or whatever. <laughs> and... She got up to run towards him. He got up to run towards her. And I got up to run after him because I thought he was leaving. And there we were 
running back and forth in this aisle at, at a most crucial part of the movie, what everyone else thought, I, I, I can't oh, even imagine. Lord, the Tangler. Yeah, that was my uh, second movie. And I think that's why I do not have a great affection for the movies. Oof, boy, I don't blame you. I bet you had some nightmares after that. You better believe it. But I guess for my mother's insanity, a few weeks later, he was allowed to take us to the movies again. And we saw something about the planet Mars. You know, my dad was not really one that was concerned with what you really wanted to do. Yeah, no, definitely not. So we went to see this planet Mars or something. And I all I could think of with my poor little brain was like, oh, my God, I'm just going to sit on his lap and not look. And then um, everybody started laughing and some boys in the back started yelling, it's National Jello Week. So I turned around and it was it was really just looked like a bunch of uh, slime moving all over. So I don't remember anything else about that movie, but, uh, but you had hecklers in the crowd. <laughs> I like that. I don't think just it was just awful. So that was uh, that was my second and third movie. Oh, wow. Well, thanks for heading out to the theater for this one. I do want to ask you before we get into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, did you get the preview for the Mr. Rogers movie with Tom Hanks in your showing? Yes, I did. And I, my question is, why? Why are we having Oof, this? Yeah. Um, I don't feel too good about it. No. I, I, we saw the documentary which was beautiful, yes. which was Fred. What are they going to do in this movie that we need to see? I just think it, it feels like money. Yeah, it did. Uh, yeah, I got that vibe too. And we talked about the documentary on the podcast, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And... You know, Mr. Rogers is someone who means a lot to both of us. It means a lot to very many people across the country. Right. And uh, Tom Hanks is almost as beloved, right, in his own way. Not yeah. quite the same, but widely right. beloved. So I understand the casting, but it felt like he was kind of—it just looked like he was kind of mocking Mr. Rogers. I'm not saying that he was. I, I'm sure he did it with a full-hearted spirit— but um, when he, you know, when he tossed the shoe, Mom, yeah, I don't even know how to describe it. But he tossed the shoe in this kind of cutesy, like exaggerated way that is not how Mister Rogers ever would have done it. And like, who cares? It's such a small detail, right? But that it's all those little mannerisms. The smile—it just looks kind of yeah. creepy on Tom Hanks's face. It—I didn't get a good feeling about this movie. No, I just. I thought, ugh, that's what I thought. Yeah. Um, boy, a lot of the coming attractions looked pretty rough in the previews. Uh, Oof. And, you know, and these are, the, these are the, the, the scenes that are supposed to entice you to come in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we were enticed to come in to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Shall we talk about it? We shall. The ninth feature film by Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is a story about the end of a golden age. Set in 1969, this meandering film follows the exploits of past-his-prime Western actor Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. 
Unable to parlay his TV career into major film roles, Dalton is fading away as he resists the push to make cheap spaghetti westerns in Europe. Providing moral support and muscle for Dalton is stuntman Cliff Booth, played by Brad Pitt, whose own wandering draws him into the orbit of the Manson family. Bursting with period references and crafted with an obvious passion for mid-century Hollywood, Once Upon a Time blends the worlds of reality and fiction as its heroes strive mightily to stave off mortality. Here's a clip. Rick Dalton. Sam Wanamaker. Hey, Sam. Sorry about the wet hand. Oh, don't worry about it. I'm used to it with you. I just want you to know I'm the one who cast you, and I could not be more delighted that you're doing this. Well, thank you, Sam. I appreciate it. That's a good part. Yeah, it is. Have you met Jim Stacy, the series lead? Uh, not yet. No, no. Well, you guys are going to be dynamite together. Mm, mm. Well, it sounds exciting. Yeah, lightning in a bottle. <laughs> now, Rick, about your hair. Oh, what about my hair? I want to go with a different hairstyle. Huh. What? Something more hippie-ish. You, you, well, you, 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 you want me to look like a hippie? Well, think less hippie, more... <laughs> Hell's Angel! Rum, rum. Say, uh, Get me Sam, 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 uh, you got me covered up in all this, uh, this junk. Uh, how's the audience gonna know it's me? I hope they don't. Mm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is in theaters. For showtimes, consult your local library for the phone number of the movie theater nearest you. <laughs> Mom, did you leave Once Upon a Time feeling happily ever after? No. <laughs> no. Did you? Oh, yeah. Don't I quite that. enjoyed this movie. Oh, no. 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 How can we be... How can we... Why is this happening? I don't understand. All right. here Here are some of my notes. Okay. I'm not sure who this movie was uh, written for. Hmm. Because it wasn't um, nostalgic for me. You know, I graduated from high school in 1970. So this this is my reality. Hmm. Okay? Yep. This is what I thought, that they didn't have any money to spend really spend on the vintage music and the ads that, that were showcased because the music was, most of it was unfamiliar to me. Some of it was, I knew, but some of it had to be, you know, B-sides or what, I don't know. And um, really only a couple of the ads resonated. So I... I I didn't think they were the good ones, so I'm thinking maybe the budget wasn't there to get the the real you know Marlboro cigarettes or whatever. That that's what you wanted because we had jingles back then. You know, we had good jingles back then. Yeah, well, it's not a pure nostalgia play, and um, I mean, I understand. I know, but I understand what you're saying. But um, this film had plenty of budget. Let me assure you, there's a lot of money on screen. Well, it's all in the actors and actresses who well. I thought were were um, very good, given the subject matter. You know, you have to 
this was a time of confusion for people. You know, this is when hippies were becoming a thing. The Vietnam War was going on. There was protesting. You know, this was a very weird time for, for this generation, I think. People that protested the war and, you know, hippies were, you know, people either gravitated toward that idea and concept or were kind of repulsed by it or disgusted by it. But you really had to get in line and choose where were you going to, where were you going to place yourself? You know, you can imagine then this, this Manson thing happens in Hollywood. Um, yeah. You know, and it's just like, we're, we're sort of innocent for that kind of thing, even though there was a war going on. Yeah. You know, Roman Polanski, when I think of him, all I can think of him is his underage girlfriend. Of and, course. you know, yeah. he was banned from the United States and things like that, 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 were not really emphasized. So, so I sort of got caught up in, is this a fantasy? Is this how he would have liked things to go? And so I got lost. I'm really just not sure who was supposed to go in and love this, somebody that didn't live it. It certainly is a fantasy. And it's a, it's a film that is difficult to, um, to talk about without getting into the ending, which uh, is surprising, so I don't want to spoil it for people. Um, but it, so much of the interpretation of the movie, I think, hinges on uh, the last 15 minutes. That said, let's treat it as an alternate reality of 1969, because these, these Manson murders of Sharon Tate and her friends— um, I think are widely viewed as a sort of a punctuation mark that end the 60s and really end um, the dreams of the 60s. And this is a movie, uh, the two guys, they're like I said, they're past their prime. Leonardo DiCaprio just doesn't really fit into this new world of Hollywood, um, you know, and a world that he expected to rule. Like at the right. at the beginning of the decade when he was on TV and when he was a hot item, um, and I can I can made a list. I mean, there there was Wagon Train and Gunsmoke and Rawhide and Bonanza and the Rifleman and Death Valley Days. It was all cowboys. It was all cowboys. <laughs> yeah, and Lancer, which we see depicted in the film. Uh, did that really exist? I don't remember that. Yes, Lancer really existed. A lot of the a lot of the. Um, in fact, I would say the vast majority of the TV series and films referenced in Once Upon a Time really did exist. Um, we see him making a guest appearance on uh, the FBI, which was a real yeah. crime procedural. Yeah. Oh, I remember it. I'm sure you do. Um, you know, I think a key moment early on in the film, Mom, that helps with the interpretation of it, it's when we see Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, in that Steve McQueen role, I, I, the a movie is um, escaping me right now. Do you know, remember what movie? The Great Escape. How could I forget? We right. see and they have CGI'd Leonardo DiCaprio into the Steve McQueen role. And that, to me, sums up this movie's um, sh- layering and not predictable layering. You know, it shifts. The balance right. between reality and fantasy shifts at times in the movie. Um 
But that to me is a statement of intent that um, it, the movie is going to is going to mix these things with Wild Abandoned, and I, but not oh. Wild Abandoned. I think that Quentin Tarantino does it quite artfully and um, thought provokingly. I mean, I have been thinking about this movie so much since I saw it, which was just a couple of days ago, but I find it a fascinating movie. And uh, I was very distracted by the different um, portrayal of certain actors and maybe actresses mm. um, because, you know, Steve McQueen, I know what Steve McQueen looked like of course yeah and sounded like and so to me it was like a, a wonderful costume party yeah and to, and so for for me it's it was all a reenactment and it was difficult to step back and look at it as a movie as opposed to looking at it like like a documentary well you, oh, you're saying that's how you were looking at it. It's kind of like a documentary. Right. Well, it didn't really work as a documentary. Well, no, because it's not. Um, but it's difficult to separate it when when it's very clear in your mind who all those people were and what they, you know, looked and sounded and all that moved, how they moved. I mean, those are things that you do remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... It looks a little um, wonky. I see. Being an, an old fart like this. Well, maybe it does land better with um, someone like me who did not live through it. Yeah. Um, that said, Quentin Tarantino, you know, he didn't live through it except as a l- little child. Um, right. But he is certainly a, a passionate aficionado of this uh, era of not just film, but Hollywood culture. I mean, he has a. We know he loves that. It's not uh, exactly like this movie is breaking that news, but this movie embodies that, I think, more than any of the films that he's made. Okay. Um, so I, to you know, answer the initial question you asked, I, I think it is for people who remember the era as well as those who don't. I think it's pitched at both. Well, I feel like it fell flat for me. I yeah. felt like he didn't reach me, and that, so that's what made me... Um, wander off into who who was this made for and and that that's sort of where I was left with it um I do want to say that I thought um the part where Sharon Tate mm-hmm. Margot goes yes, into Margot the Robbie. theater and yeah. watches herself you know and kind of giggles and enjoys that and I thought that was a very charming scene I loved that scene she was so good in that whole sequence um the spirit of innocence and just fledgling joy at right. her then burgeoning career. You know, she was yeah. just coming onto the horizon as a big star. And I think Margot Rob- Robbie was superb in yeah. uh, making us feel that. And if you know about the Manson murders, which the film is a little obscure if you don't, if you're not yeah. familiar with that, but yeah. um, if you know her ultimate fate, in reality, that is, um, it. there was just such, such tragedy to that sequence as well. Right. But I exactly. thought Margot Robbie was superb. That was her showcase sequence, not very much dialogue at all. She has to convey it all with, um, with her face, with her face, with her mannerisms, and she just doesn't. It's a great performance. 
It really is. It really is. It was it was so innocent and lovely. I also just think Leonardo DiCaprio is uh, not that this is a surprise to anyone, but it's he's just a generational talent. And I was wowed by his portrayal of struggling actor Rick Dalton and in particular the scenes that took place on the set of Lancer where he's doing this guest spot as a villain and really starts to come apart at the seams, uh, you know, forgets uh, his, his lines. And we see him in his trailer yelling at himself, sometimes incoherently. And DiCaprio takes us through this whole actor's journey. And he, in the space of about 15 minutes, we see him as an actor who's coming apart and then as an actor who pulls it together and and demonstrates why he first splashed onto the scene um, in this one Lancer sequence, yeah. I would I just found that really just top notch performance. Well, some of the some of the things that resonated for me um, were like mirror in mirror things is that here's a fella portraying the end of his career and then on the television is Robert Goulet who stayed in the limelight much too long. (laughs) Um, But it, it was sort of like a, 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 like a mirror image of it. Mm. I'm not, I'm not saying. No, that's uh, there's an echo in that, uh, in Robert Goulet being there. Wow. That did not occur to me, but yes, yeah, great point. And I, I didn't notice that particular one, but there are, I mean, Tarantino is such a great has a, such a great eye for detail, and also a somewhat predictable eye for certain details. Um, he loves women's feet. We know that by now, and there are a yeah. lot of feet in this movie. There's a lot of feet in here. Dirty feet. Dirty. Yeah. Yes. Um, he really feels that feet say so say something about the person, and he tries to give. I mean, he just loves women's feet. We all know that by now if you've watched any of his movies. But um, I do feel that he shoots them in a way that he tries to give you a sense of the character, because some of the feet we see are, have blisters on them and they're really dirty. Um, you can get a sense of the life that this person has been living by looking at their feet. Okay, that's me trying to redeem all the foot shots and with not my whole heart, but that's, I think, the artistic reasoning behind it. But also... Okay, well, here's here's me gagging at them. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I don't like feet so much. Yeah, well, fair enough. But okay. if we're talking about details, he's also the kind of guy who I know when someone opens a cupboard, it's going to be full of, you know, we see the Hormel chili and the Tang right. and those, you know, mid-century prominent yeah. brands. And he's he's not going to let those details go to waste. Right. Now, does he also have a thing with Hitler? Um, well, I mean, he made a, a movie in which Hitler is killed, so he's not a big fan. Yeah. Because, you know, there was also a picture of Hitler on the wall. Well, I can't remember the scene now. It was a little picture of him. Hmm. Mm. Well, it's hard for me to expand on that because I didn't uh, notice this. You didn't notice that. Okay. Well, you know, I was busy catching little details while I was watching the sheet in the next uh, section. So. Yes, I know. Uh, you were uh, 
you mentioned this up top, but I just want people to know, mom didn't take a sheet. You made it sound like you brought three people in to sheet oh. to the movie theater. <laughs> but there was no. just a sheet over one of the seats that you mistook for a person, it sounds like. For yeah, most of the Yeah, because I came in right at the beginning of the movie, or the, the, um, the previews. preview. Yeah. Uh, I know there are there are some critics out there who said, oh, there could be 20 minutes good from this movie. And yeah, probably, but I enjoyed the relaxed pace. Yeah. I liked spending a long time at Brad Pitt's house and seeing the whole feeding his dog routine. Like, I was totally fine with all of that, just living with these characters. Yeah. Um, because I did find DiCaprio and Pitt's performances so engaging. Well, it reminded me of how my cousins used to feed their dog, and that's what I thought he was going to do, is they used to just open the can and drop it in his mouth, the food. <laughs> they didn't even have a bowl for him. So, um, so you enjoyed the downtime. Yeah, because I didn't really consider it downtime. I felt like it was patient, slow character development, atmosphere, uh, made me feel like I was there. I don't know. I guess the advice I would give to people who are going to see this movie is, um, I'll say it again, reality and fiction are layered on each other in ever-shifting ways, and just go along with it. Don't try to, you know, don't try to get a firm grasp on it, because the film is just going to slip right out of your hands if you try to do it. You have to let it And, you know, that that was the thing. I would have liked that one little piece of information before I went in. Yeah. But, you know, people said, don't read anything about it. Just just go see it. Just go see it. Don't read about it. So there was that. Could we also just briefly mention the little girl? Oh, yes, absolutely. Whose name I don't know. Uh, the actor's name is Julia Butters. She was she was wonderful. I she thought was. she has just a couple scenes, but um, she plays this uh, child actor. Uh, on Lancer, this TV series that uh, Leo DiCaprio's uh, character is guesting on. And um, she she's the one who turns him around, basically. She provides him with the inspiration to pull himself together and uh, be the actor that he knows he can be. And uh, she was superb. And a, very well written by Tarantino, I think, her, yes. her sequences. Yes, I thought so, too. Um, you know, she's one of those children that you would sort of put your life in her hands because she seems so intelligent. I know, I know, right? Yeah, whatever you say, that, you know, that I'll go along with it because obviously you are brilliant beyond your years. So um, I thought, what what a little gem of a piece for her, and didn't she just nail it? And there's another moment, Mom, just to bring this theme out again, you know, she's talking to him and she has informed him that she prefers to stay in character. Now, right. uh, she's doing that to some extent. She insists on being called by um, her character's name. And I thought it was a funny exchange where uh, DiCaprio says to her, so what are you, 12? And she hesitates for just a moment and she says, <laughs> no, I'm eight. Clearly, eight. that's how old her character is, right? Um, yeah, right. And it's just another embodiment of um, a figure in this film who blurs the line between fiction and reality. She's having a real conversation with Leonardo DiCaprio. She's speaking to 
his situation. He is supposedly talking about this book that he's reading about a cowboy who's past his prime and yet is clearly talking about himself. It's not it's not evident to what extent the young woman perceives this, um, but she responds appropriately nonetheless as he breaks down. I just that I'll say it again is the takeaway from this movie is the new the amazing new ideas and new perspectives that you can acquire when you allow this line between fiction and reality to be blurred and in fact layer them on top of each other so you're looking through both lenses at once. That's right. That's right. The other thing that I that I took away from her performance was that you know she says she's a uh, you know she's a character she she's a and she likes to stay in character. And I'm, I'm sure at the time, you know, everybody was going to acting class and this was like Stravinsky's method or one of those right, directors right. or whatever. Right. Yeah, Stanislavski is who you're talking about, but yes. Well, whatever. Yeah, go ahead. Stanislavski. Stanislavski, yes. Okay. So there, and and you know, which was which is an eye rolling idea to a lot of people, I think. So, hmm. you know, when we when we uh, Americans hear that, you know, Hollywood is like its own universe. It's a weird place. Yeah. So goodbye, all our Hollywood listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they know it. I think people in Hollywood know it better than anyone. I hope so. My God, I hope so. Yes. All right. Uh, what is your grade for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Mom? Yes. C. C. Hmm. Okay. Sorry. How dare I you? Wanted, well, you know, I wanted to hear I wanted to hear some real jingles, not not uh, not just heaven sent. I wanted to hear the Ajax commercial and the Marlboro commercial and Well, I mean you weren't tickled at all when they recreated the Hullabaloo set? I mean, my God, talk about a deep cut. Here's a variety show that lasted maybe a year or two, um, I think on NBC. Oh, don't be so nasty. Huh? Hullabaloo? Didn't you love that? Watched it every time it was on. Oh, with the big letters in the background? I just... Oh, you better uh, believe it. And the white go-go boots? Oh, that's your mom. Well, so I'm surprised to hear you, uh, you know, I just thought the period detail was bursting out of every seam in this movie. So I'm surprised to hear did you say you, that you really? felt like I really did. Wow. Oh, I told you. Yeah. Well, someday we'll watch this together when we can get it on uh, HBO or yeah or whatever. We'll okay. watch it together and you can tell me, you know, we'll do like a um, a critique together. That sounds good. Okay. I mean, the movie posters are everywhere. I just, it's, uh, there's plenty of period detail in this, but I'll let it go. Well, uh, you know, you have the advantage of going in as somebody that understands the other side of it better than I do. I'm going in as the dumb no. consumer. No. So. No, I don't believe uh, that. You have your own. Look, yeah, I know about. This is a movie. Here, let me go back to your first question. It's funny that I didn't have a ready answer for this because I was going to say, and I didn't put it in my intro, but this is a movie for people like me, like who just love pop culture and who love the history of of it, Hollywood in particular. Um, 
you know, not like I'm a huge fan of 60s celebrity culture, but I just love all of it. And um, I was just swimming in his references, big and small throughout the movie. I loved just living in this milieu. And maybe that's why I didn't have as much of a problem with the slower scenes, just because I loved being there and just looking around yeah. and and um, seeing all the bits of classic Hollywood that he had managed to incorporate so artfully into this movie. Yeah. And I think my problem, Johnny, is that for me, um, I remember a lot of it as history. And mm. the so that I didn't have that complete... Um, oh, feeling that that you got from it because to me parts of it were left out mm. were you know the unsettling uh, climate of the time between the the demonstrating that was going on and you know the Kent State killings mm. and you know this this was really a a, a shock to us as a as a nation I think the president being um, killed you know the 60s were very confusing you know we're all we're everybody's building bomb shelters because the end of the world is coming and you know it's just it's a it was a difficult time yeah yeah well that's a good point and a good perspective and i do not accept that you are the dumb consumer you bring your own perspective to it that's what this podcast is all about so i won't have okay. it do you hear me all right okay. i heard you we both have our own perspective nobody's dumb uh, do you have a recommendation this week, Mom? Uh, I have read four books, and I can't recommend any of them. Oh, dear. You've been having yeah. a bum run. Really a bum run. Uh, and I, re- I blame the library. <laughs> <laughs> and not my bad taste. Mm. You know what? I'm judging books by by their covers. Then. I see. Um, so you have nothing to recommend our, uh, um, I'll tell you one listeners. thing I've been enjoying watching this summer and I think we've already covered this, but to tell the truth. Oh, I don't know if we have it, covered this. It's delightful. Just like the old, to tell the truth, three celebrities listen to three, uh, imposters. Um, some, some celebrities are, are bigger celebrities than others and some are a little more genuine than others, uh, but the host, is his name Anthony Edwards? Anthony Anderson, I believe. Anderson, Anderson. He's wonderful, and his mother's on the show, um, and it's just right, I think. It's just right. Okay. Uh, I just want to clarify for people, uh, this is a show in which uh, celebrities question a panel of two imposters and one real person who oh, has an right, interesting... right, right, right. Right, so if it were three imposters, that wouldn't be much of a game. But uh, there's one person who has some interesting story or fascinating profession, and then two people pretending to be that person. Um, only the person who is r- real is sworn to tell the truth, and the other two can make, just make stuff up. That's where the name of the game comes from. That's the premise of the game, and it's a good thing Mama's not in charge of this remake because I don't know if they would have gotten it right. <laughs> Three imposters. That's it. Well, I got the word imposters out. That was what I was really going for. So. They would always win. The contestants would always win on that <laughs> version know. of the show. <laughs> I know. All right. Uh, that's a good recommendation. That's To Tell the Truth uh, on ABC. Check your local listings or consult your local library. 
Uh, that'll do it for this week's edition of Pop Mom. Mom and I will be back next week to talk about more pop culture. What should we talk about, Mom? Something interesting. Something interesting. See, that's why you tune in. Hey, and thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, tell your friends. We love you. Mom and I will talk to you again next week. Bye for now, Mom. Bye, Johnny. I love you. Love you, too. Love you, too.